A big welcome to chapter four, straight into the letter that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote us. Five slides, three minutes. It's good to read. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Then Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you, from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be a lengthening, perhaps, of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? 
While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. He does according to his will among the host of heaven. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, for all his works are right. And his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Probably familiar to most, if not all of us. What I love about the book of Daniel is that it it covers every age, from a young teenager being educated right the way through to Daniel, likely in his 80s, still serving God and outlasting four global leaders. So whatever age you are watching this this morning, maybe one of the young people with Rhoda and Graham Essex, Lottie, Megan, Lydia, others, someone the age of, let's say, Matt Grant, or Phil and Gwen Thomas, Laurie and Anne Aldridge, Charles Veach, Rose, or Jenny, these stories can inspire us all, encourage us all, refresh us all, and remind us all that our confidence in God is utterly utterly well-founded, whatever our age, whatever our stage in life, and especially in a time of global upheaval. Now, the book of Daniel is divided roughly into two halves. Chapters 1 to 6 are the first half, usually the easiest ones to understand, and then chapters 7 to 12. What you may not know is that these two halves are in different languages. The first chapter in the first half of the book is in Hebrew. The rest of the chapters, 2 to 6, are in Aramaic, which means then that chapter 4 we're looking at today was written in Aramaic. It was a global language, a kind of lingua franca. It's a bit like English is today, the language anyone in the world basically would be most likely to understand. The first half of Daniel is also largely written in the third person. It uses words like he and Daniel. But our chapter today, chapter 4, bucks the trend. It's a letter, and that letter starts off with I, Nebuchadnezzar. Extraordinarily, it was written to be distributed throughout the world as a testimony to the power of the Most High God and as a reminder that no matter what global powers are at play, God does have, and always will have, the last word. I want to make a point early on that Daniel was not defined by the system. 
political, cultural or religious, it did not define him. And in fact, when he got a nudge from God, it's clear he was quite happy to play the system. He even got those three friends their job. Now, what that tells us is he was confident in his God. He was at ease with his own walk with God and ready to take a stand for his God, whatever the cost, at any time. We've already seen, and we'll yet see more, he had a consistent godly character, kept a great attitude, and for that reason ended up head of the International Civil Service for four world leaders through four very different administrations. For those of us then in a workplace, voluntary or vocational setting, it's a timely reminder, whatever the political or philosophical atmosphere in our work, however psychopathic our leaders might be or seem to be, we are not on our own. As God's people, above all others, we can be confident in our God and, by the way, confident in who he has made us to be. Confident too, that whatever goes on in our work or voluntary settings, God's plan, God's purpose will ultimately triumph. One of my heroes in this church, a younger family man who I'll not name, embodied this for me. He refused to take part in an action that he felt was blatantly ungodly and unfair. He was falsely accused as a result by a director of his company. He was lied about and his reputation was attacked. He was sacked. And I remember burning with outrage myself at the injustice of it all as he shared the journey with a couple of us. The legal agreement around his severance meant he was not allowed to say anything about his employer. He was out of work for around a year and it was an incredibly faith-testing time, which he handled with dignity and with confidence like Daniel in the God of the workplace. Today, he's in a job where he's valued, respected, and carries far more weight in his responsibility than in the job from which he was ousted. Daniel's a great reminder then that whatever the culture of our company, whatever our bosses and peers may throw at us, we can rest easy in God's ability to turn all that pain, distress, and unfair discomfort into his will, his plan, and his purposes for ourselves and others. Which brings me to this thought, a godly attitude in the workplace, even a workplace maybe we didn't choose, a workplace in Daniel's case with a psychopathic leader and heavyweight occult practitioners in his team that he was required to lead. It led to huge influence, but what's so encouraging and interesting with Daniel is Without understanding it or grasping it fully, Daniel's faithful, faith-filled daily walk with God where he was impacted the immediate for himself, his bosses, his friends, and even his nation. And yes, he clocked that to some degree, but it was also fundamental to the unfolding purposes of God, invisible to him at the time, but including 2,300 years plus or minus. Later, here we are, holding in our hands or on our tablets, viewing on the internet the words he wrote down. Here's my point. You and I may never know, in fact, we almost certainly will never know, the full impact of our faithful walk with God, 
in our different workplace, vocational or voluntary settings, but it's almost certain that the impact goes way beyond the immediate. Now, to properly grasp this chapter, let your minds imagine a letter sent from Donald Trump or President Putin or China's Xi Jinping to the whole world, put out on social media, TV, internet, in the English language, acknowledging their arrogance, acknowledging that God had stripped them of their authority and their sanity, sharing with the world that for seven years they'd been mad and confined by others to special areas often frequented by animals, only returned to sanity after acknowledging that God himself rules over all, telling the whole world that God had transformed their own lives and their countries through signs and wonders. Feels remarkably far-fetched, doesn't it? But extraordinarily, that is precisely what this chapter is all about. And in this letter, it's quite striking when King Nebuchadnezzar relates the dream to Daniel. I wonder if you spotted it. Daniel's first response is silence and dismay. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed for people in your workplace or neighborhood, but this is a great encouragement. Sometimes we can pray for friends, family or colleagues every day. And then some extraordinary circumstance happens and it takes your breath away. Or at least alerts you to the all-powerful nature of God. Interested enough in your friend or colleague to make a difference in their circumstances. I never forget... I was in my late 20s working with a company uh, here in Basingstoke and a lady in the canteen dropped the tray with her dinner on and the food went everywhere and I went to help her pick it up along with somebody else who joined me. And he and I then became quite friendly. We had coffee together, we chatted a little bit and Jill and I went to their home for uh, a meal. They came to ours, we had tea and coffee They had been into the Mormon faith and it seemed like there was this impenetrable barrier we simply couldn't break through in our conversations. And I remember praying to God and saying, Father, do whatever it is you have to do in order to bring salvation to this house. And I'll never forget the shock and the dismay when I learned from the press that he'd been embezzling money from our company and ultimately ended up with a prison sentence. However, that shock and dismay in the journey was also reflected with joy because somewhere in that journey there was salvation and the couple got baptised. It's conjecture, of course, but don't you think it's at least likely that in his three times a day prayer, Daniel had King Nebuchadnezzar on his prayer list, on his fridge magnet, And it's a great encouragement, a sobering reminder to pray for our workplace colleagues, our neighbours or friends or family and to be alert to circumstances that God may orchestrate to be part of the answer to our own prayers. It's also a great reminder, isn't it, to be open to dreams that workplace colleagues, friends or neighbours may have. Some of you will remember Jane Cuff. She used to be a member of this church and she had a friend at work she tried to invite to an Alpha course and was met with a reasonably cold resistance. 
And just like I suspect Daniel did for Nebuchadnezzar, Jane prayed for her. Some while later, this lady approached Jane in an open plan office and quite loudly shared a dream with Jane that she'd had. In turn, Jane shared the dream with a group of prophetic folks in our church, including Phil Thomas here. The interpretation was life-changing for her, and Jane told us that when she shared the interpretation, the woman let out an expletive, sank into the chair, and said, I know exactly what that means. It's a great question to ask on Zoom, perhaps, over the water cooler and the coffee pot, if we ever get back to those post-COVID, what dreams has anybody had recently? Annie and Laurie Aldridge brought two not-yet-Christian friends to a small group run by Andy and Di McIntosh, where we were talking about dreams, and both these not-yet-Christian friends came with wonderful dreams. And as they were interpreted, it was possible to see the light of God touching their lives and opening their eyes. Twenty times in this one chapter, you'll read the word heaven or heavens. You're probably aware that in the Bible, the word heaven and heavens get used a bit interchangeably to describe what we would call the sky, the atmosphere, but also to describe the dwelling place of God, God's address. And it's used in both ways in this chapter, and it's quite striking. So, for example, we can see that the tree was described as its top reaching heaven. It's a metaphor, it's a description about the extent to which God has allowed Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to grow tall. And the reality, by the way, is that its impact had significance in heaven. Verse 13, we're told a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Verse 22, your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven. Verse 26, your kingdom will be confirmed to you from the time you know that heaven rules. Verse 31, while he's declaring his own greatness, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Verse 34, at the end of the days. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason, my sanity, returned. Because he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And in the most remarkable sentence in the chapter, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the King of heaven. I don't know if you found yourself wondering why this chapter, this letter, is in the Bible. It's a great story. That's reason enough. But importantly, it reassures us so that we can be utterly, utterly confident whatever actually goes on, God, the Most High, rules. There have always been and likely will always be global powers capable of unsettling or terrifying. Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein have all risen and, by the way, have all fallen. The Trumps, Bidens, Putins, Kim Jong-uns of this world may well have power, but their relevance is superficial and transitory. And out of a heavenly encounter, Nebuchadnezzar wanted the world to know that the King of Heaven orchestrates the powers of heaven. They shape, they impact, they influence what goes on on earth. 
Jesus made the same point when he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is great reassurance in this for all of us, great confidence in this for all of us, no matter how psychopathic or terrifying or terrible a leader may be. The great perspective we can remember is there is a God in heaven who rules over all. Or as Nebuchadnezzar put it twice, the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Summing up before you go for your prayer appointment. Global powers are in reality superficial and transitory. The King of Heaven really does rule over all. His kingdom really is rock solid from generation to generation. No leader, no global pandemic can shake his power or shake his rule. The world system, political, religious, cultural, workplace does not define us. And whatever our workplace, vocational or voluntary setting, we can be utterly confident in the work of God and the ultimate plan and purposes of God. And it's a wonderful reminder that character and faithfulness in our work, vocation or voluntary service leads to positive impact in the present which we may or may not clock. But importantly, probably more importantly, it also leads to an invisible investment that goes way beyond what you and I can see and likely way beyond our own lifetime. And let's remember finally as we pray for our friends, colleagues and neighbours to watch out for circumstances that God may bring to bear. And in particular, let's be ready to listen to dreams that God may be bringing to them.